This morning's scripture reading will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And it reads, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I have read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. May the Lord bless the hearers, readers, and doers of thy word. We'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in just a few moments. Uh, again, we appreciate you being here, and if you're visiting with us, we want you to know that you're an honored guest. If you're looking for a church home, we want to let you know that you found it. Uh, we want you to talk to the members here, talk to the elders, and we'll let you know about the work that we're doing, the great works that we're carrying out, and how we're meeting the needs of a lot of people uh, throughout this world. And so we appreciate you being here uh, to be a part of our worship service. Uh, Mike's still recovering from his surgery, and we hope that he gets a speedy recovery. And of course, as always, you know that he's in your thoughts and prayers as well, and we want to keep him uh, in our prayers as he continues uh, to recover. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as Paul would end this chapter, he's going to talk about a ministry of reconciliation. But in the middle of all of that, he brought to bring up a point that I want to stress this morning, and that is living for Jesus. When we look at our world today, and as we know what this world needs, is Jesus Christ our Lord. But what it also needs is children of God living for Jesus each day. And I appreciate Billy leading us in those songs to focus our mind on what Jesus means to us and how we can live for him each and every day. Because some folks may look at Christianity maybe as a religion or maybe as a one-day religion where they can live for Jesus on Sunday and maybe live the way they want to for the rest of the week. Uh, but we'll get into that in just a little bit more detail as well. Uh, just think about a loving family that splits up. And the children may want to get them, their parents back together. They want to get them reconciled. They want them to talk about their differences. They want both of them to come together and talk about what's going on. They don't want a win-lose situation. They want a win-win situation where the family can be back together once again. And, and, and we know that all too often in what goes on in our world today with dysfunctional families and separations and, and divorce. And we know in the scriptures that God hates divorce. He hates the putting away. But even as Jesus pointed out, he recognized there are people that put away their wives. And in Matthew chapter 19, he, deal, he dealt with all of those issues within that chapter. And we know that there are parents that split up from time to time. And, and sometimes there's children that run away. And we think about trying to get the children back home. And reconciling the parents and the children once again. Uh, to find out what's going on in their life. What is it that they really want to do? And they may put out their ambitions and their goals, and, and what we want to do is to make sure that everybody's on the same track. And that track is following that way that Jesus left for us, that way that's going to lead to heaven, and to make sure that all our objectives, all our goals, all our ambitions are in accordance to the Lord's will. But we know what reconciliation is. Just think about the people that are lost in the world, and you ask yourself whether you care about them or not, or how much love that you ought to have for them. I was thinking a few moments ago, the, the young children that we have here, when, when I used to preach and I'd hear kids talking, I'd just say, we're tag teaming. I'll preach a little while and then the little kids, they'll talk a little while. 
But just think if one of your children went astray, and we hear about Amber Alerts. You think those families want to have their child found? We know they do. The grandparents want to make sure their grandchild's found if they're the ones that are on the Amber Alert. We know they do. But many times we are a little disconnected because we're part of God's family, but God's offspring is still out in the world lost in sin. And then from time to time, part of God's family, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes they go astray. But we ought to look at them as our own flesh and blood, our own brothers and sisters, and have that love to try to bring them back and find out what's going on. They may be upset about something. The world may be very appealing unto them, but we want to try to, to bring them back. And so here the Apostle Paul, yes, he talks about a ministry of reconciliation, and what he's talking about is how God wants to go out into the world and to bring his offspring back to him. And by obeying the gospel, we become children of God. We become part of his family. And so Paul would deal with his ministry of reconciliation and, and also pointing out that, yes, Jesus came to this world, but God wasn't hands-off. God was hands-on. He was working through Jesus to reconcile the world unto himself. And so in this ministry of reconciliation, Jesus is preached and Jesus is taught. And so as we look at this passage, the apostle Paul, he brings out three things for us. And that is, number one, God wants us to learn about his son. And then we'll talk about, number two, that God wants us to love his son. And then, number three, that God wants us to live for his son. But first of all, before anybody can love Jesus and anybody can live for Jesus Christ, they need to learn about Jesus, and we understand that. And so if you have your Bibles, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> And verse 17 and following, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. He's talking about someone who becomes a child of God. He's a new creature, he's a new creation, and all, all things become new. He says in verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. In our King James Version, it is to wit, or that could be translated to know, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us a word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so here God wants us to know something. He wants us to know about his son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to know what his son, Jesus Christ, did. Jesus came to this earth. And of course, we can read about that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why Jesus came to this earth, how he lived among men and women, how he lived among Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans as he would come into contact from, with them from time to time. And so God wants us to learn about his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. But how did the people learn? Well, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they learned by word of mouth. We heard that there's this man in this other town called Jesus, and he's performing these miracles, and he's teaching and preaching, and some folks accept him, and some folks reject him. And, and we hear that there's this person that, that's doing many marvelous things. And so they learn about Jesus by word of mouth. You know, later on, they'd learn about Jesus through preaching and through teaching. Or they would learn about Jesus through Old Testament scriptures. Just think about the early church, if you would. When they went into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. When the Apostle Paul 
went into Philippi. He was beaten in that city, Acts chapter 16, thrown in prison, would later get out of prison and then go to a place called Thessalonica. And he would preach the gospel there in Thessalonica and he'd have some folks that would hear the gospel and they, they would obey the gospel. They would make up what we know as a church at Thessalonica. But then there were some folks that didn't want to hear this gospel, didn't want to hear about Jesus being their savior and they would chase the apostle Paul out of town. So as he left Thessalonica, here in verse 11, as he went to Berea, he says, These were no, more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things are so. We talk to folks today. We know they have a sin problem, but they don't think they have a sin problem. And so we want to deal with morality and ethics and what's good and what's bad what's truthful, what's error. And so we would talk about these things. We'd also talk about Jesus Christ, our Lord, and especially about him being the Savior of mankind and, and his precious blood that can wash away our sins and forgive us of our sins and give us a new start. And I know in our society today, unless folks just don't have cable or technology or any access uh, to the media, they have to hear about Jesus Christ in other ways. And so it goes back to the printed word or maybe the word of God being taught verbally. But as we know, God wants his word spread throughout all the world. He wants other people to hear about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so nonetheless, we, we take these words to these individuals and we tell them about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, he, he can handle any situation that you're facing. He can help you do that. He can help you overcome any challenge that you have in your life or help you to endure it. But more importantly, the sins that are in your life, he can wash them away by his precious blood. So we hear about Jesus, and then we also hear about God, the Father, who sent Jesus. It goes back to that ministry of reconciliation, learning about what God did for humanity and that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but then learning more about his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so when Paul went into Berea, it wasn't that they just accepted what he had to say because, see, what he had to say meant they had to change their lifestyle. They had to change their way of worship. They had to change their way of religion if they were religious. They had to change some things. Some folks aren't ready to change. But they heard that this God in heaven sent his son, and other folks say that this wasn't really his son. And so when Paul preached, he preached from Old Testament scriptures. We could say he went to Psalm 22 and talked about the crucifixion of Jesus, his hands and his feet being pierced. And you can go to uh, Isaiah 53 as we know it and talk about this one who died for the sins and the transgressions of mankind and, and connect these things together. You can go to uh, Micah and talk about his birth or go to Zechariah and talk about him being a king on his throne, building his temple, his house, the church as we know it. They could use the Old Testament scriptures and, and these prophecies and say they point to Jesus and these things were fulfilled. And so the folks that are open-minded and ready to search the scriptures, they can find out whether these things are so or not. And so as we can see here, God wants people to be reconciled to him, but the first thing is they need to be taught about Jesus Christ our Lord. They need to, be, they need to learn about Jesus. And so yes, Paul went to Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Acts 18. He went to Corinth where we have these letters that would be addressed to. When he was in Corinth, he stayed there for a year and a half. And so they would hear him preach and they would hear him teach. And if they had access to the Old Testament scriptures, as Jews would have, they could search these scriptures again to find out whether these things are so. 
So whether it's a church at Thessalonica, they were made up of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, the church at Corinth made up of Jews and Gentiles as well. And so they were able to learn about Jesus Christ. You see, after they learned about Jesus Christ our Lord, they would have to be uh, faced with a decision. Do I really want to love this individual or not? Now when we read, and we're able to read today, what Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it boggles our minds sometimes how some folks can't accept the love that Jesus Christ has to offer. They can't accept the way of salvation that Jesus Christ our Lord has to offer. But when we read about him in these gospel accounts, it's amazing how much love he had for all of humanity. It didn't matter whether they were kids, kids loved to be around him. It didn't matter if they were older folks. Uh, some of these, as we can read of from time to time in the scriptures, loved to be around him. Folks loved to be around Jesus because they loved what he was about. They loved what he offered. They loved what he was able to do. Uh, they loved learning more about God's will. We can read about folks who loved to be around him. But then also we can read about people who hated him beyond our imagination. Jesus would raise someone from the dead. How can somebody hate somebody that would do such a thing? Jesus who would raise children from the dead. Some folks in, in our congregation have lost children. I've lost brothers and sisters. I know what it means. You know what it means to lose a family member. But then when Jesus was upon the earth, he would raise some of these folks from the dead. And yet people would hate him. He'd restore withered hands. He'd restore eyesight. He would restore hearing. He would restore the ability of our individuals to walk. He'd do all these great miracles, but yet there were people that hated him. One of the reasons they hated him because they were filled with jealousy and envy. In John chapter 12, it tells us why. The Pharisees thought, behold, the whole world is going after him. Yeah, they're thinking about their membership. If they leave us and go to him, we're losing our membership. If they leave us and go to him, we're losing our money. And so they had a conspiracy to kill Jesus, and not just Jesus, but Lazarus also. And so it boggles our mind how they would hate such a one. But then Judas, as we know, was caught up into this hatred as well. To be able to turn his back on Jesus, that he was around for three and a half years, and see all those miracles, hear all of that teaching, and then go to the enemy and betray him for 30 pieces of silver. But you see, God in his scriptures tells us about Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he is his son, and, and this is what he came to do. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ by Matthew, by Mark, by Luke, and also by John. And then as we learn about Jesus, we have to make a decision. Do we really want to love this individual? You can talk to people from time to time. They'll tell you about their life. Some folks may tell you that their life is messed up. They're looking for hope. They're looking for a way out. They're looking for an escape. And what we can do is tell them, you know, what we've done, what God's done for us, what Jesus has done for us, in hopes that they'll make the same decision and do the same thing. But it, it starts by learning about Jesus, but it also starts by seeing how much he loved us and how we can also love him. As John, the aged apostle, would say, we love him because he first loved us. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. And so if we're willing to love him, there needs to be a response. And that response ought to be faith. You see, these Corinthians had done that when Paul preached about Jesus. And Paul preached about what sin truly is. And a lifestyle that's not accepted with him. 
And he mentions their ungodly sins in 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 9 and 10. And when Paul preached about Jesus, that, that there is a better way and a better life, a better future, you had some folks that accepted that. They wanted to have Jesus Christ being a part of their life. And so what Paul would point out is you have to have faith. You've got to believe in this one called Jesus. And so Acts 18 and verse 6, they believed that. They were willing to believe that he's the Son of God. But then, as Paul would point out, you need to confess him. Then that he is God's son. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. They'd also have to respond by repentance. If he's the Lord and he doesn't like these types of sins and lifestyles and we need to change, they have to be willing to do that. They have to respond in repentance. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, he listed sexual sins, immoral sins, uh, sins that criminals would do. But then he says in verse 11, such were some of you. But you're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. You were this way, but you've changed. And that's where the repentance came in. They were willing to change. They were real, willing to say that, you know, this, this immoral lifestyle is not satisfying. And they changed from that to have a new beginning and a new life. And so they responded by faith, confession, and repentance, but they also responded by baptism. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 6, they believed and were baptized. Or 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the same group of Christians. One spirit, are we all baptized into one body? They understood what baptism was about. That they would go into this watery grave, this old man of sin would be crucified, and they would rise to walk in newness of life. And so when the Apostle Paul would say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Some of these folks whose life was so messed up and who were in sin or who wanted a, a better way, they responded to the gospel. They responded to Jesus Christ. They were baptized into Christ, and they became this new creation. You see, that's what enables us to become the righteousness of God, uh, to become sons and daughters of God by gospel obedience in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. But then stop and think about it for a moment. John would say in 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold, he wants to get the attention of those who are reading his letters, such as us today as well. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, the sons of, and the daughters of God. And so John wants to remind them about how great this family is because God's the Father, that we could be even called sons of God and daughters of God. And sometimes we want to make sure that our brothers and sisters in Christ don't lose sight of that. You might have some folks that, would, that might think of people who become our presidents. Kids may dream about, oh, I'd love to be a part of that family. Look, look at how great that family is. Just to be adopted in that family and be part of that family. And, and from time to time, folks think about these great families out here, and they would want to become, you know, what it would be like to be a part of that family. There are kids who get adopted by loving families. Foster children getting adopted. And they're thankful for the families that love them and take care of them uh, as they're growing up to help them to become a mature adult. And so th they're thankful for families who want to accept them in. And so just think about people who are lost in sin with a life that's messed up with sin. And, and they hear about God who wants them to be a part of their family, that ministry of reconciliation, uh, that ability to be called a child of God, a son of God, God our Father, but then Jesus is a brother. But then as we think about these brothers that have passed away in years gone by, Paul and Peter and James and John and many of them that we can read of in the New Testament, and not just these men, but the women as well, 
Eunice and Lois and Phoebe and, and the list goes on. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those that have died and gone on, but those that we have today, how great it is to be a part of this family. You know, if you're visiting with us this morning, just stop and think, what brought you here? Somebody might say, well, my mom and daddy brought me here. Well, what brought your mom and dad here? Something that they've heard about the people in this congregation as being children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, it's the Olive Branch Church of Christ, but it's more than just a name. It's a family. And folks come here because they hear about this family. And they want to be a part of this family. And so time to time, we'll have folks that are baptized into Christ, or we'll have folks that place their membership with this congregation. Because we have people that are living for Jesus Christ each day, and not only do they hear about it, they're able to come and see what this congregation is actually like. And so when John would say, Behold, what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And so, yes, we are children of God. Number one, because we learned about Jesus. Number two, because we love Jesus. Number three, because we want to live for Jesus. If you have your Bible, notice once again in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, or compels us, because we thus judge, if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which, should, or which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so in this third point that we look at, we see God's ministry of reconciliation on how he wants us to live for Jesus Christ. Just to bring up a point a few moments ago. Uh, some folks want change, maybe just a little bit of change. Maybe just a little bit of religion to make them feel good and not miserable anymore. And so they think about how much they have to be faithful to Jesus Christ or how much they have to live for Jesus Christ. And some of them think that they only have to do it on Sunday. And if Jesus is our Lord, and 1 John 2 and verse 6 were to follow in his steps, or Philippians 2 verse 5 were to have the mind of Christ, was the mind of Christ just faithful to God on one day a week? The footsteps of Jesus, did they just follow in God's will just one day a week? Well, we know the answer is no. Jesus was faithful all the time. Jesus was faithful to God in thought, word, and action. Jesus obeyed the Heavenly Father. In John chapter 8 and verse 29, he said, I do always those things that please him. Every moment of every hour of every day of every week of every month, that 33 years that he spent here upon the face of the earth, he said, I do always those things that please him. But again, keep in mind, some folks are thinking, how long do I need to live for Jesus Christ? Can't I just do it on Sunday? Okay, if Sunday is the only time that you think you need to be faithful, what if you sin on Monday? Then what if you're about ready to die that day with sin in your heart on Monday? You want God to forgive you on Monday? You know, is God just supposed to be faithful on Monday, or pardon me, or on Sunday and not Monday or not Tuesday or not Wednesday? Living for Jesus. If I just live for Jesus on Sunday, does that mean that I just have to be faithful on Sunday? Still goes back to what about Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? What if you, you know, just get caught up in sin and you know it's sin and presumptuous sin and you don't feel like repenting of it or confessing of it? You can see where this logic goes. 
do you need God just on Sunday or do you think you really need God every day of the week? You need God every day of the week. But some folks, they think it, that religion is just like a cafeteria of religion. I can just take what I want and leave what I want. I can be faithful when I want and unfaithful when I want. And, and in some religions today, there are some folks. They're just faithful on that day of worship. They're at the bar and the saloon and the clubs on the night before. And they somehow think that that's going to be okay. God knows how I am. Now, we're supposed to be a shining light every day of the week around the people that are around us every day of the week to try to bring them to God Almighty. So the duration of our responsibility to God, is it just on Sunday? Do the scriptures talk about it? Well, that's what I pointed out. If we follow Jesus and we follow in his footsteps, was he only faithful one day a week? Well, we know the answer was he was faithful every day of the week. Faithful more than just one day of the week. Obedient more than just one day of the week. Or what about the mind of Christ? Did he always have to think about God's will? Couldn't he just think about other things, you know, the sinful things that are in our world? We know he didn't do that either. And so we know living for God, looking at our Savior means living for God each day. I appreciate the song that Billy led, Each Day I'll Do. That's the way we think about our Christian life. Each day that we're living for him and each day we think about how we can glorify him by what we say and by what we do. So think about our duty. The Apostle Paul spelled it out this way in Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. Our duty as we live for Jesus each day. He said, The grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And so here's Paul telling Titus, when you look at what Jesus Christ has done for us, uh, he made it possible for us to be saved, as he talked about here in verse 11. And he's made it possible for us to understand how to live that life of a saved individual, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. When you think of living soberly, that means, you know, having our temperance correct, the self-control that goes on, this thought life that we have. When we keep this in check, we can see how we're living soberly, not just with ourselves, but with others and even before God. Or to live righteously. Short definition of righteousness is right doing. Well, how often do I have to do what's right? Sometimes we hear that from people. I don't know what it is that they get tired of Christianity, tired of religion, tired of serving God. And, you know, how, how often do I have to do that which is right? Can I just falter here and there? Well, the answer is no. Do people falter here and there? The answer is yes. But if you ask me, can we falter here or there? The answer would be no. Did God ever say, oh, child, it, it's okay if you sin? Did God ever say, okay, it's, it's all right if a wrong word comes out of your mouth? No, he wants us to keep all of that in check so that we live soberly, we live righteously, we do what's right each day. And then he says to live godly. Some have separated it this way. To live soberly is how I live with myself. To live righteously is how I live before others. To live godly is how I live before God. It sounds good, but it's all interconnected. This godly life needs to be based upon his righteousness. And his righteousness is a part of our life, a part of our mind, a part of our thought life.
so that what we are doing glorifies our Heavenly Father. We know what's ungodly in our world. We even know that John said the whole world lies in wickedness. But if it lies in wickedness and we become wicked, we're not helping them. We talked about Noah in our Bible study class this morning. Noah lived in a world of wickedness. What if Noah decided, you know, I'm tired of building this ark. 50 years and I'm not done yet. Maybe 70 years I'm not done yet. He never became tired building the ark or preaching God's righteousness. Nor did his family. But they were faithful during that 100-year period in building that ark and trying to bring people back to God. But you had folks that, no, they didn't want to change. They didn't want to repent. But yet, Noah was remaining soberly <clears throat> in his life. He lived righteously. He lived godly in that sin-sick world. And that's what we need to do today in our sin-sick world. If we don't let our light shine before others, you know, what is it going to take for them to see that good and that, that honest and that righteous way? So we need to live soberly, righteously, uh, and godly in this present world. And then finally, notice if you would, if we're a part of this, this relationship with Jesus Christ, what do we expect? If you're in a relationship with someone else, what do you expect out of that relationship? Well, you know the answer. You're in that relationship for love. You're in that relationship for acceptance. You're in that relationship to feel value. You're in that relationship to satisfy some needs that you have. And so even in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord, are we loved? Yes. That's why we love being a, a child of God. Are we valued? Yes. All we have to do is look at the cross. As Paul would say, he died for us. His blood was shed for us. Are we appreciated? We're God's offspring. He appreciates us. He loves us. He wants us to be uh, faithful members of his family. Are our needs met? Yes, they are. Our needs that are based upon God's will. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, we have those. They're already there at our bidding. If we need peace, if we need strength, if we need mercy, if we need forgiveness, if we need love and long-suffering, and that's just to mention a few of these blessings, they're already there. They're for, our, for us each and every day. And so if you look at your life, are you living for Jesus? Have you given your life to him? If you haven't, we want to encourage you to do that, just like the Corinthians did. And hearing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, hearing about the love of Jesus, they responded by faith, putting their faith in Jesus. They responded with their mouth by saying, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, making that great confession. They responded by changing from a life of sin to a life of service in the Lord's kingdom by repentance. They responded by baptism, being baptized into Christ. But if we look at what Paul said to the Corinthians, some were caught up in sin and they needed to come back home. So they needed to repent. They needed to confess. And it was offered. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you can put your faith in Jesus. We can assist you in being baptized into Jesus. If you're already a child of God, but somehow you've gone astray, we hope that something's said to bring you back home. And prayers can be offered up on your behalf. So whatever your need might be this morning, won't you come while we sing?